Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So I got to be honest with you. I, I really, I don't know why everybody wouldn't want Christianity to be true. I mean, really, I, I really, why, why wouldn't you want Christianity to be true? It's an incredible story of love, right? The greatest love story ever told about the love of God. It's awesome. Are y'all out there at all? <clears throat> okay, all right, cool. Maybe not the version that you grew up with. Maybe that's the problem. And so maybe you grew up with a version of Christianity that really wasn't a Bible version of Christianity. Somehow, you know, denominational stuff and religion kind of got mixed up. And maybe that version of Christianity, you think, wow, I'm just, I don't know. I'm out. Or maybe not the, not the version of Christianity that you get from your, you know, so-called Christian neighbor and the, the one that he models that version of Christianity. You might look at that and you might think, honestly, you might think, you know what, if that's what Christianity is all about, I don't want to have anything to do with it. That is, the, that is the biggest hypocrite. That is the biggest whatever, you know, word you want to use I've ever seen. And maybe it's not your neighbor. Maybe it's that person that you work with. Maybe it's, it's somebody in your family. And maybe this Christmas it was tough because you had to do those get-togethers with people that are so inauthentic, that are just a bunch of fakers. And if that, you, you're thinking to yourself, if that, if that version of Christianity, is, if that's right, I don't want anything to do with it. But I don't know why everybody wouldn't want the irresistible Bible version to be true. It's awesome. It's an awesome story. And there is a big difference between I don't believe it's true and I don't want it to be true. And so I wrote some things in my notes, and then I smiled this morning when I first walked on the stage and I looked at that. I thought, maybe you don't believe it's true because you don't have enough information. And honestly, I was thinking about one guy in particular when I wrote that. It's, it's a guy who is a self-proclaimed atheist. And, and here's the interesting thing. Of all the people I've met in my lifetime, of all the atheists that I've met in my lifetime, he's not angry. A lot of atheists that I meet are just angry. Hello, y'all out there? You know what I'm talking about? I don't believe in God. Dude, like you're really tense about something that don't even exist. I think you're too ticked off to not believe. I think you believe. You don't want to believe. I think that's your problem. You don't believe in the God that you think you know, but... I love having conversations with this guy because really he looks at me and he says, I want to believe. I just, I just can't. I'm not there yet. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't want to. It means that, he, you know, I just need some more information. <clears throat> so maybe that's you and you think, you know what, there's something else I need to read. There's, there's something else I need to hear. Maybe there's something else I need to experience. He even asked me, he said, what was it for you? What experience did you have? What was that thing for you that caused you, that brought you to a place of, of believing? And I had that opportunity to share with him. But there's a difference. There's a, there's a big difference between I don't want to believe it's true 
And I just don't believe it's true. Huge difference between the two. I read that uh, Blaise Pascal, a 17th century mathematician and philosopher, said this. It's an interesting quote. People most invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof. Not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. In other words, when something is attractive to us, when it's attractive, when it looks maybe too good to be true, the one thing that that attractive thing causes us to do is to go look for evidence that it is true. Now, Pascal was not saying just because something is attractive is true. He wasn't saying that. I'm not saying that just because Christianity is attractive in its original form, I'm not saying that just because it's attractive, it's, it should be true. I'm saying, I'm saying that because it's true, it's a reason to believe. And there's tons of evidence. There just is. I always think, I talk to Christians, when you use the word evidence, they go, you can't use that word. Because it takes faith. You have to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I always look at those people and say, have you read the Bible? There's tons of evidence in the Bible that God is absolutely real, that Jesus is absolutely alive, that there was a resurrection on that third day. In fact, I have said to people, it takes more faith to not believe than it does to believe. And the thing that makes Christianity so attractive, at least to most people, in its original version, in the Bible version, is a single word. And it's the word grace. Because grace is the thing that we're all looking for when we've messed up. When we're overwhelmed with guilt, when we're overwhelmed with shame about what we've done, but about who we think we are, that is the very thing that we crave. We won't. We want grace. And the word grace is, is grace because that's what we desire the most. And grace. My original definition. Grace is love with no strings attached. Did you, did you get that? Let me, let me say that one more time. Grace it's love with no strings attached. And I can almost sense some religious people going, whoa, 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 wait, 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 hang on, wait a, wait a minute. You can't just say, really? Grace is something that we receive not because we deserve it, it's because we don't deserve it, because we've done nothing to earn it. It's just given. And the greatest gift that we've ever received is the incredible love of God. Come on. So Paul's writing to this church in, uh, in Rome. And just so you know, this was, this was a church, of, a mixed bag of, of people. It was a mixed bag of Jews that had converted to Christianity. It was a mixed bag of Gentiles who had converted to Christianity. And when I say Gentiles, it just means people that weren't Jewish. Yeah. So because, you know, you kind of get to church, and we use terms, and you go, I don't, I, don't, like, I don't know what that means. Like you would turn to the person beside you and say, are you a Gentile? Like, am I a Gentile? I don't know who a Gentile is. Yeah, so it's like, if you're not a Jew, guess what? You're a Gentile. And so the, the thing I love about this church, this, this church in, in Rome, was that it was this mixed bag of people, this mixed bag of people, some that grew up religious, 
And they understood the Ten Commandments, and then they had a group of people that added 600-plus more laws. So it was the Ten, and then it had 600-plus. And, and so they were all about keeping laws and being righteous, and that was, the way, that was the way to heaven. And then there was another group of people that said, you know what, we're not a part of that group. Like the Jews are God's chosen people. We're not that group. And so we don't deserve anything. And so this, this mixed bag of, of believers, kind of like, like Springwell, we're a mixed bag, aren't we? A mixed bag not of nuts. We're not, we're not a mixed bag. Well, that might be true, I guess, I guess, you know, I suppose. But we're a mixed bag, aren't we? There's some people here that maybe, maybe you accepted Christ when you were young. Maybe you were, you know, 8, 9, 10 years old, maybe 12 years old. But, and for some reason, maybe it was because you got angry at God. Maybe it was because you got angry at the church. Maybe, maybe the church failed you. Maybe you feel like God failed you and, and you were alone and, and you were abandoned. Maybe that's the way you felt. And maybe because of that, you said, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I don't want to have anything to do with the church. And you just walked away. We have those people that are here, that haven't been in church. Very, it's, it's, it's very customary for us to hear the story. I haven't been in church in 15 years. I haven't been in church in 20 years. I gave up on church. I gave up on God. And then there's another group here. They're, they're brand spanking new to Jesus. In fact, we reach those people that literally had no earthly idea who Jesus. Jesus who? Is that Jesus? And does he work at the migrant camp up in Blue Ridge? Like, I don't, what do you mean? Jesus, who, who is he? And so we reach that group of people, and there's some of you that are brand new to the faith. And so, you know, honestly, you, you've only maybe been believing Maybe for a few days, maybe a few weeks, maybe only a few months, maybe only two or three years, and you're brand new to the faith. And then every single week, right here in this place, since we started Springwell Church, there's always been people who say, I'm just not there yet. I'm just kind of kicking the tires of Christianity, so to speak. You know, I'm just kind of checking there's something else I need to see, there's something else I need to hear, maybe there's something else I need to read. And so, and so this church was a mixed bag, and like we are a mixed bag, and that's what makes this place so incredibly beautiful. It's the mixture of people that we are. Anyway, Paul's writing this letter to this mixed bag of people in a church at Rome, and, and here's what's really important, and this is, this is my take. You, you can probably go home this afternoon and Google it, and somebody else will tell you that they believe something else, but I really believe that the book of Romans was written really with one primary purpose. And that was Paul writing this letter to these people to help them understand, to have a solid foundation for their salvation. Because they were a mixed bag. Some people were still really, really closely connected to the law. And so they felt like they had to, they had to cross every T and dot every I of the law. And there was another group of people that never felt worthy enough. And Paul said, you've got to understand. I want you to make sure that the gospel is clearly defined. So I'm going to write you this letter to help you understand. In fact, in the very first chapter, here's what he says. Romans chapter 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That's important. That's really important. We'll get to it in a minute. The gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And then in verse 15, he says this. I am so eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news. And he was really, really eager. He, he wanted to be in Rome. He'd never been to Rome, 
But his dream, his, his ultimate dream was to go to Rome. And here's why. Because Rome was the bomb.com. The Roman Empire was the, the dominant political and military force in the world, with the city of Rome being its center. Here's what Paul knew. He said, man, anybody who's anybody lives in Rome. Any leader, all of the great leaders of the world will be from Rome. I mean, Rome is all of that in a bag of chips. And so his thought was, if I can go to Rome, if I can preach the good news, if I can preach the gospel to people in Rome, because everything flows in and out of Rome, and if I can influence these powerful world leaders, then we can spread the gospel throughout the world. So his dream, his dream was to go to Rome. In fact, Paul was so desperate to see this mixed bag of Christians in Rome that he literally used his rights as a Roman citizen to appeal to Caesar after being arrested by Roman officials in Jerusalem. And for those of you that need some biblical information for that, you need um, a reference. It's Acts 25, verses 8 through 12. So Paul was sent to Rome, and he spent several years in prison. It was a house prison. I don't know if a house prison is nicer than a regular prison, but it's prison. And I think Jonathan said this last week. He was literally in prison for 24-7 with a guard chained to him 24-7. He went to Rome desiring to spread the gospel, maybe to be an influencer, maybe to be able to stand in front of thousands of people to, to share the gospel. His dream was to go as a preacher, but he went as a prisoner. So it sounds like to me that his dream turned into a nightmare. Wouldn't you agree? But here's the thing. He was so desperate to go. He was so sold out to the gospel, the good news that he didn't care what road took him there. That's pretty desperate. So Paul says this. He says in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work. Saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news, hmm, the good news. Are, are, you, are you finding that we're, we're hearing this kind of language over and over? Just read the book of Romans. The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, as the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So there is this mention of the good news. So much so that we have to kind of answer that question, what is exactly, what is the good news of which Paul speaks? And it's the kind of good news that was so important that Paul said, I am literally willing to put my neck on the line. And just so you know, like if you're brand new to church or don't know anything about history, just so you know, he literally put his neck on the line. They chopped his head off. That's putting your neck on the line right there. all because of the good news. So you're probably thinking, well, so what's the good news? Well, I'm so glad you asked. So let's go back to verse 1, because he uses that phrase, the gospel of God, the good news of God. This little phrase, this little Greek word, is really used 60 times by Paul. In every single letter that Paul wrote, 
I mean, like, this is, this is his theme. This is the thing that Paul wants to share with every single person that he comes in contact with. He wants everybody to understand the good news. And so the good news, that word, that word in the Greek is a word that, that means uh, signif- signifieth good, merry, glad, and joyful tidings that makes a man's heart rejoice. Y'all having fun yet? Old Tyndall had a way with words, didn't he? It gets better. The only reason I'm giving you this definition is because of this last part. It makes him sing and dance. Come on, y'all, y'all got it? Y'all feeling me? I thought that was pretty good for an old man, for an old white man. I thought it was pretty good. It's the kind of good news. Paul said, I'm so desperate that you would hear this good news because if you ever get it, if you ever understand this good news, it's going to make you want to dance, unless you're a Baptist, and then we can't dance. <laughs> Did you notice who's the good news is from? I love this. I don't know if y'all like this, but I really love this. Do you know who the good news is from? It's from God. Now, it's important because Paul used this Greek word. It was a very common Greek word. It's a very common Greek word, and I think that's important. And uh, do you know how it was used? Well, it was used in the cult of worshiping the emperor. In the Roman Empire, the people were required to worship the emperor as if he were a god. And so, if any of these officials coming from the emperor ever brought, ever brought uh, news from the emperor, that's the word that they would use. So these people have heard this word over and over and over and over again. And I think what Paul's doing, he said, I want to use a word that you're familiar with. I want to use a word that you've heard before because I want you to make sure that you understand exactly what I'm about to say. So he takes this Greek word, this very common Greek word, and he says, I'm writing you in Rome who are used to hearing the good news about the Roman Empire, which honestly, let's just be honest, most of the time it really wasn't good news. Like they said, it was good news. And now when, you, when, they, now when there's this proclamation coming from some official on behalf of, of the emperor, most people really, I mean, like you didn't do it, you know, in, in a public way. You didn't do it where they could see you. But in private, you'd roll your eyes and go, yeah, sure. Here's what, here's what Paul's saying. He said, you know what? You guys are used to hearing this word, and it's really associated with good news. It's really not so good news. But I'm going to give you good news not from Caesar. I'm going to give you good news from God. It's going to be awesome. In fact, it's going to be so awesome. You can want to dance, baby. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all just aren't going with me. I, I don't Somebody jump up right now and just break bad. I mean, I'm just saying. So here's what Paul says. Verse 3, he says, the good news, this is really important. He said, the good news, the good news is about some new rules that we're going to lay out for you. That's not, that's not what he says, is it? He said, you know what? The good news, it's all about a person. See, the, the news that you've heard like comes from a person, but it's not really good news, and it's all about laws and regulations. This good news is about God's Son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, which was really important for the Jewish group of people. They had to know that, that Jesus was from the lineage of David. It's the only way that he could truly be the Messiah. And he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just saying, any man that stays dead three days, comes up out of a tomb, 
Hello. I'm going to listen to what he's got to say. How about you? Now, there's been books that have been written by people who said, you know, I was dead for five minutes. Cool. Awesome. There's people who come back and say, I was dead. I don't know how long I was dead. They said only for seconds, only for a few minutes. But I was dead. I saw heaven. And they come back and tell us all about it. But ain't nobody come back and said, I was dead three days. Are y'all out there? Are y'all feeling me at all? I, I, I was dead three days. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and in the ground, I just, I came up out of the ground. Nobody's done that. Like, this, this is awesome. So somebody that's been dead for three days now is alive, I'm just saying, I want to listen to what he's got to say. And then he says, he is Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you ever read the Old Testament, then you'll hear the prophets talking about this coming there's coming a Savior, and he's going to be the lamb that will take away the sins of the world. And that meant, that meant everything to the Jewish folks who had a, a sacrificial system that they understood. And they understood that they would sin and they would come short. They tried to keep the ten. They came up with another 600-plus to help them keep the ten. They got a little crazy with that. But anyway, so they came up with all these rules and regulations. And then they said, you know what, in spite of everything, we're still going to fail. And so God said, I want you to take a, a, a pure lamb, a spotless lamb, one with no blemish, slit his throat, take his blood, put it in a basin, offer it for the sacrifice, as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. That's what they were used to. And the prophet said, but there's going to come a day. There, a, another lamb's going to be slain. Make you want to dance, I'm just saying. And the good news is all bound up in a person. And his name is Jesus. Is that awesome or what? I don't, you're not making me believe you. But here's the thing. It's okay. Maybe, maybe you have to really understand the bad news before you know how to appreciate the good news. So Paul says this in Romans 1. He said, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And y'all read that, and like, y'all are awesome. I mean, really, I'm not kidding. I'm not just buttering you up. We already took up the offering. So I'm not just like buttering you up and then we'll take up the offering and get you to put some more in. That's not it. I mean, I literally, you should hear me talk about you. I talk about you behind your back all week. I meet people. I was able to, saw, I saw someone in the gym yesterday and I said, man, I'm just telling you, our people are just awesome. I mean, they really are. They're, they're the best people in the world. And I really believe that. So I could see the best people in the world. You might read this and you might think, like, I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm not, like, wickedly sinful. And you might be thinking, you know, he's talking about, like, really wicked people. Like, wickedly sinful people, and I'm not wickedly sinful. You know, I got my faults, but he's probably talking about murderers. And, and then you come up with whatever you, you, you think, your list, your top ten big sins, child molesters. So you come up with all of these, he's, he's probably talking about those people. Like, he's not talking about us. Well, <laughs> just for those of you that might be thinking that, Paul says this in verse 29. He said, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. You said, I'm good. Every kind of sin. You said, I'm pretty good. Then he said, greed. Oops. Hate. Well, is it hate? Let's define hate. Like, I have some people I don't like. Murder. Oh, 
I'm good. Yeah, but Jesus said that if you look at somebody and you're so angry that you could kill them, at least in, with the intent of your heart, you're guilty. <laughs> Quarrelings, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. And the list just goes on. These are some wickedly bad people. Then he says this in Romans chapter 2. He says, you may think that you can condemn these people. you're just as bad as they are. And the thing of it is, you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others, you're doing the very same thing. And if you're not doing it, you're thinking about doing it. That kind of stings a little bit. Let's go to Romans 3. It'll get better. Romans 3, verse 10, as the Scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. Do you know what? No one, do you know what that means in the Greek? It means no one. That's what, exactly what it means. Verse 11, no one is truly wise. No, I love this part. It says no one is seeking God. Some of you are not believers. You walked in here today thinking, I'm, I'm seeking God. I'm going to go to church because I'm looking for God. Here's, here's what the Bible teaches. That unless the Holy Spirit of God draws you, you don't even have a want to. You don't even have a want to. There's nobody seeking God. He says, all have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. And in case we still like or really dance, and we're thinking, I think I'm, then he says in verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all, we all, falls short of God's glorious standard. So we're all sinners. Hey, we're all in the same boat. And it depends on where that boat's going, how bad that is, right? So like if I were to say, we're all going to get on a boat this afternoon and we're going to sail to the Bahamas. Who's in? Yeah, most of us, right? And so we're thinking, anywhere away from here, you know, as long as it's COVID-free and everybody has their vaccine and are wearing a mask. <laughs> and you got to have proof of the vaccine. I'm just saying, this is Springwell. we got to see proof, legit proof. I guess it depends on where that boat's headed. It depends on the consequences of being a sinner. So Paul says this. He wants to make sure that we understand the consequences of our sin. We're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. We're all moving in the same direction. So, so Paul says in verse 23 of, of chapter 6, for the wages, the wages of sin, it's death. Oh, we were doing, we were having so much fun, weren't we? We were on our way to the Bahamas. Things were feeling good. And just so you know, just, just so you know, when he says death, he's not just talking about like being dead, like dead, dead. It's, it's separation from God. And some of you would probably think, well, he and I ain't that close anyway. You know, like, if it's like I just live eternity the way I'm living now, it's okay. I'm not that bad. But that's not it. See, it's, it's not just eternal separation from God. It's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Hell. And, and you're probably thinking, can you say that like in a modern church? Your people are supposed to be so positive. Haven't you, read, wrote, haven't you read any of those books? Hell's real. Just so you know. 
Just so you know, Jesus taught more about hell than he did heaven. Just, just so you know, the English word hell for hell is, occurs in the King James Version of the Bible. It occurs 23 times. Twelve of those times it comes from the lips of Jesus. It's a big deal. Like, that's the bad news. Let's get back to the gospel clearly defined. What do you say? That's not all of verse 23. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free, the free gift. What kind of gift is it? It's free. It's grace. It's love with no strings attached. And people want to fight that. They just, you just do. You think, you can't tell people that. Why? It's the truth. It's the free gift of God. Eternal life is the free gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the bad news that we're all sinners, but the good news is that God himself provided a way out. That was the point of the cross. Just in case you've ever wondered, the cross, I don't understand. Well, the cross, that's why Jesus had to die. He had to die. He had to give his life as the Lamb of God. He had to shed his blood for the remission and for the for the forgiveness of sin. Like you want to dance, I'm just saying. It's pretty awesome. And then check out what he said here, because this, for those of you that are really religious, you, you, know, you really, you need this first. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, and you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you so struggle with your identity. The same guy says this in Romans 8, verse 1. He says, there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ. And see, I, know I can hear somebody's going, ah, oh, what? No. You can experience God's grace. You can experience his love with no strings attached. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-given spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I mean, the good news just keeps getting better and better and better. And maybe you're thinking, okay, so I get it. I know what God, God did his part. What's my part? So what's my part? I'm glad you asked. Because Paul certainly wouldn't have brought us this far and not given us the rest of the story. Romans chapter 10, he says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe, and we talked about this powerful word, believe, we did it over Christmas, that it means to lean on, to put your weight into, to lean toward, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you've been made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile in the same respect. They have the same Lord who generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, listen. Believing the right stuff, it's a part of it. It's a part of it. How much of it is it? It's a part of it. You're thinking, ah, I knew there was going to be a catch. No, it's, it's not a catch. So believing that 
that God sent His one and only Son and that Jesus loved us so much. God so loved that He sent Jesus and that Jesus so loved us that He was willing to be a sacrifice. That He was willing to go to the cross and on the cross shed His blood to pay the penalty for our sin. It's believing that. It's believing on the third day He was raised from the dead. You've got to believe in the resurrection. If you don't, what in the world do you, what are you trusting Jesus for? If you don't believe in that. It's believing the right stuff, but listen. It's coming to a point when to believe in is to trust in. To put your weight on, to trust, to give your life to, to fully surrender your life to Jesus. Watch this with no strings attached. Now that trips us followers up. I, I remember what it was like for me as a young kid when, when my dad died. I remember thinking, I didn't, that's not what I counted on. I said, how could a God of love take a 10-year-old boy's daddy away from him? So in essence, I made it about me. And I said, there's strings attached, God. I'll follow you as long as you answer my prayers the way I ask you to answer them. Because after all, God, you're up in heaven. And like, I'm down here, and I know more than you. So I, I need you So my love for you, there's strings attached to this love. And so you've got to answer my prayer. You've got to do what I want you to do. And you've got to do it when I want you to do it, the way I want you to do it. See, that's not unconditional. What he longs for is when we come to him and say, Nah, you have my life. Listen, I'm not saying that you're not going to get angry. <laughs> I've been so angry at God. I, I remember one time, it's a true story. I was in seminary. I was pastor of this little church. and Karen and I lived in this little trailer right beside a cemetery. And I was so angry at God. I was out in the cemetery um, hollering and screaming, and I wasn't using Sunday school language. And I remember at one point I stopped. And I, I literally was standing like in a, in a grave site. And I remember looking at a tombstone right in front of me. And I'm, I remember thinking, you know, like, I'm already in the cemetery. It's probably not good to push God when you're already standing in the cemetery. One bolt of lightning and I'm there. Change the headstone. I mean, I'm there, you know. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I said to him. I said, God, I am so mad at you right now. I literally said this. I said, but God, I got nowhere else to go. I, I, I don't have anything else to believe in. I, I left everything behind to follow you. We're just going to have to tough this out, and we did. That's why Aaron's testimony, that's why that song, oh, that's why it grabs me. How about you as a follower? Follower, Can you say, I love, God, I know your love for me, your grace is your love with no strings attached, but do I have the same attitude towards you? Maybe here this morning, and you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're fully aware that you're a sinner, and you completely get the bad news, but this morning you didn't fully understand maybe the good news, or maybe, honestly, you just never heard it before. Maybe you got a version from some church growing up that didn't sound anything like this. And I'm telling you, I just walked you through the Bible. That's all I did. 
Maybe you got a version from a neighbor that's a so-called Christian, somebody you work with. But this morning you go, oh my gosh, you mean to tell me that is the gospel clearly defined? Yep, I told you. It'll make you want to dance. So if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, every head is bowed and every eye is closed and no one's looking around. Maybe right there in your seat, you just pray a very simple prayer, a declaration of your heart. You'd say something like this. You'd say, Heavenly Father, I totally get the bad news. I know I'm a sinner. But now, this morning, I actually understand the good news. The good news that is from you. It's not from a preacher. It's from you. So this morning, Lord, as I understand the good news, I'm ready right now to fully surrender my life to you. For the rest of my life, I want to follow you. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the power of the resurrection. Step into my life. Forgive me. Save me. Change me. Father, um, thank you for the power of your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I know that we as mere humans can mess it up. So thank you, Lord, that you cared enough to give us a written document that clearly explains your unbelievable, over-the-top love, grace, the kind of good news, Lord, that makes us want to dance. To say that we love you back is not enough. That's all we got. Lord, I pray that our lives more and more every day will understand surrender. And Lord, that maybe through that surrender, that it's an expression of our love. You're awesome. It's in your sweet name that we pray. Amen.